This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, you learned how Impact Mouth Guards built a mid-six-figure business by giving away their products. On today's podcast episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that sells his services through text messages. On this episode, you'll learn why they decided to rebrand their company over the next year, what obstacles they're overcoming as they're rebranding and what they wish they did differently, and how they sell their services through text messages and what apps they use to do it. Today, I'm joined by Joshua Bruckner from Airtailer.com. Airtailer provides expert clothing alterations without the hassle of schlepping your clothes to the tailor. I love that tagline, by the way. It was started in 2012 and based out of New York, New York. Welcome, Joshua. Hey, thanks so much, Felix. How are you doing? So what is, uh, I'm, I'm doing great. So thanks for coming on. So what is Airtailer and how does it all work? Sure. So, so Airtailer is a startup and we alter clothing. Um, we alter and we repair clothing. So basically people mail or, or we have a messenger go pick up people's stuff and then we alter it. And then five business days later, we, we uh, send it back out and it's all done through text message. That's awesome. So how did you, I guess, get started? Is this, was your background in this kind of technology field or how did you, what were you doing before Airtailer? So no, <laughs> technology isn't, isn't really my strong suit. I've always been sort of a guy to like try to figure things out. So I sort of stitched the business together. But um, I started off as a necktie alteration company. So we were called skinny fat ties or skinny fatties is sort of how it looked. But um, we would take wide neckties and we would slim them down. So we started that in 2012. And then at the beginning of 2016, we launched Airtailer, altering all types of clothing. Mm-hmm. So did you have a background in alterations? Like how did you, you know, obviously you were doing this already with uh, neckties and now you've expanded to, to other things with, uh, the, the, I guess a new, new brand air tailor. So what did, what was your background? Did you already know how to do this kind of stuff before? No. <laughs> um, actually I was working in photography. I was representing photographers at a small agency in New York city and, Unfortunately, I got laid off and was was sort of doing the job hunt, and I I really needed interview clothing. So I just sort of looked in the back of my closet and didn't have anything and was like, how can I make the stuff that I already own fit me better? And um, it was sort of like a a novelty idea to to take neckties and do that. So um, I started learning how to do that, and... um, my friends were like, oh yeah, you should do this as like a, as like a business or like go and and try to sell these. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. So I did that. And then, um, yeah, that, that's how I started. Mm -hmm. So I just sort of like learned on my own through necessity. No, that's cool that you basically took what you needed and did it yourself. And then your friends obviously were very encouraging after they saw that the work that you're doing and they encouraged you to start a business with it. So what was like the next step? Like, how did you, what did it mean to start a business now that you knew how to, to, to uh, alter your own clothing and now you wanted to, or at least ties and now you wanted to help others? What was the next step? 
So I was taking the vintage ties that I like went around and found and that I had in the back of my closet and I was selling those at like flea markets and on the side of the street. And then through doing that and interacting with people in real life, people were like, oh, this is such a cool service. I would, or this is such a cool product. I would love if you would do this to my ties. Um, so that's what, that's what led me. And so I like went home, I signed up for Shopify, I got everything going and, and it was like, it was really cool. It was really, it was really cool. So that's what led me to, to doing that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, uh, needed to, to have these ties done because you're going for job interviews. Uh, you were then selling them in person, uh, these ties that you had found and then altered and were selling them. And people were then saying, wow, I really like this. So did they know that you were altering these ties? How did they know that this was like, a a thing that you were doing rather than just, you know, manufacturing these ties already, you know, altered? So I used Instagram as like a really awesome way to show before and after. And people just like really loved that. And it, and it sort of like took off because I was doing a lot of tailoring for bloggers for free. And it was like really hard to do all this work for free, but it like definitely paid off. Um, and that led me to, to bigger blogs. And then that led to like bigger press outlets. So it like, it, it, it really snowballed and, and, and took off. Yeah. This is, this is interesting because you didn't have any experience with uh, alterations before you did it for yourself. You never did it, I guess, you know, professionally, I guess. And all of a sudden there's all this attention on you and people were talking about, you know, your friends and people that you're meeting in person, these bloggers that you're working with. At any point, did you feel like, man, do I know what I'm doing as, as you're going through this? Because it seems like, you know, you obviously didn't, you learned on your own and things seem to kind of take off for you very quickly early on. Did you ever have this fear of like, am I an imposter? Like, do I know what I'm actually doing at, at, at any point? Yeah, definitely. When I, when I first started probably like six months in, I like ran a really, really big campaign with Guilt City, New York. And that's like, it's sort of like Groupon, but for luxury goods. And like people were ordering like crazy and it was so highly discounted. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this by myself. How am I going to manage all of this? You know, like, am I even doing a good job? This is so new. So like, <laughs> definitely like there was so much doubt in, in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And so you were saying that, uh, I want to get to the Gill City thing in a second, but you were saying earlier about how you were working with bloggers. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how were you working with them? Sure. So like, usually I would, I would see a blog and I'm like, Hey, this is, this is pretty cool. Bloggers or Instagrammers or whatever, usually Instagrammers. And I'm like, Hey, this is pretty cool. I should find their email, um, and, and let them know what I'm doing and see if like I can do this for them in exchange for a quick post on their Instagram or on their blog. Um, and that would usually work out. So, so nowadays it feels like Instagram is like really hard to market on just because it's so saturated and people and brands like throwing money at these bloggers. So it's like a little bit harder, I feel in, in how I've been trying to do it recently. But, but yeah, that, that really did work for, for smaller blogs, definitely, and for some bigger blogs. Mm -hmm. So for these bloggers, you were still doing these uh, alterations uh, of their ties, or like, what stage were you at at, the, at this point? Yeah, so I was doing ties, yeah. And what's kind of cool about doing that is that the big, just like, I'll, I'll go on this further later, but it's sort of neat because like the bigger Instagrammers, 
look to the smaller Instagrammers for inspiration and like mm-hmm. brands and, and things like that. So that's like, that. I think that's what led to like the escalation of getting on bigger um, accounts. I see. So you were doing these alter, you were uh, selling these ties that you were altering. People were saying you should offer this as a service. And at this point, I think if other entrepreneurs are faced with this, with, with this decision, I'd almost think pe- people would be split in half to decide, you know, I'm just going to keep on uh, producing these products or maybe even come up with my own line of ties, or they would go the same route that you took, which is to go to service route rather than manu- or making these uh, ties yourself and then bringing them to, to sell. They would go off and actually start, start doing these uh, customizations and alterations for other people's products. So why did you, uh, I guess, talk us through that decision did you have, was it a hard decision to make between going a service route or continuing selling products? It was not a hard decision. It was so early on that I decided to do the service as a service. Um, so, and, and I like it quickly took off. Like, I think we had one article in Time Out New York that was like, "Hey, check out this like vintage tie reseller that takes these wide vintage ties and slims them down. But after that, and after we started gearing more as a service, it really, really took off. And people were like totally into the idea of taking something that they already own and slimming it down. Because honestly, you save a ton of money. Ties go for like, for the people that that buy ties and wear them every single day to work and that spend a lot of money on ties, they go from like 80 to $250 ties. So like we were, we really found our niche with these kinds of people and, and we're able to, to help them save money. Mm-hmm. So this, this, uh, guilt city, uh, deal that you did, was it for alterations still, or was it, uh, selling these, uh, already altered ties? Yeah. So it was the alteration service. Um, and it was really highly discounted. It was like, I think we, at the time we charged like $34 per tie, which was like a lot. We've since lowered our price, but, um, <laughs> cause we were so small, we charged like a premium fee, but on guilt city, New York, it was $36 for two ties. And we had to like pay for shipping and everything. So it was just like not a good deal, but it was a great way of exposure. It's just like when you're making very small amounts of money, when you're first starting, anything can just throw you off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of want to walk through this timeline again real quick. So you uh, were doing these alterations for yourself. Um, we're selling these alterations out in, in uh, face to face. And then you started offering this service in what helped, I guess, kick it off. Was it that men- press mention in, in timeout New York or like what really helped you start that, that kind of attraction? Yeah, it was definitely guilt city, New York. Um, it was, it was offering that because that, that led to details magazine, which has brought in tons of traffic. I mean, details magazine has recently closed down, I think like at the beginning of this year, but um, that that was like that brought in tons of traffic for years. So like press backlinks were are an awesome sort of gradual traffic um, acquisition uh, tool. Mm-hmm. So Gill City didn't. It sounded like it was a ton of work, and you that's maybe didn't make much of a profit, maybe not much at all. You know, based on what I've heard from other people. Um, and then from there, though, you were able to get a lot of press because they, because uh, I guess Details Magazine, in this case, they saw the Guild City deal. Was that how it worked? Yeah, exactly. 
So when you were working with uh, details, like what was involved? Did they just reach out to you and say, hey, we want to feature you? Or like how does that, how were you able to work with them to get your name out? Yeah, so they reached out and they were like, hey, we love what you're doing. We'd love to do an interview with you and, and put you in our tailoring section on our site. And it sort of lived there for a long time. So we had a phone call or I had a phone call with, with a reporter at details and then he interviewed me. Um, yeah. And, and I think like the next day we were on details.com and that was like awesome. Oh wow. So this wasn't just like a blog post that comes and goes. This was something that was, that stayed on the details.com website for a long time as like a, um, not a blog post, but like a, like a, maybe a section on their website and you guys were listed as a alteration uh, resource. Exactly. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, then I was thinking initially that it was like a press mention and then, you know, it dies off. So I was wondering why you kept on getting so much traffic, but that's uh, no really key. Have you tried that strategy anywhere else to try to get into a, a magazine either digitally or I guess in print to to place you as like a go-to resource? Not exactly. I, I think they just like tagged um, that article as like a tailoring service nationwide that would help them with something. And because it was so unique, it just sort of lived there and and we didn't really have any competition. It just sort of lived there. But the, the really cool thing about online press is that it sits as a backlink, um, on search engines. And when people click that Google ranks that as, as like a top thing, when people search for your service or your business or, or your products or whatever. So like, that that is a free way to get organic traffic that's relevant to you and be the sort of go-to in that field. Yeah, and just for anybody out there that maybe not doesn't know a lot about SEO, the whenever a a I guess authority sites like details.com or any other big publication links to you, you obviously get a lot of the traffic right off the bat and maybe continually from people who's clicking on the link from the site. But also Google recognizes that whenever a large site, a site with a lot of authority links to you, it boosts your basically SEO like profile. So when any, whenever anyone searches for keywords that you're going after, because you have backlinks from large publications or large websites or high authority websites, it boosts your ranking. So I, th- I guess that's how it's really paid off for you, not just from the direct traffic, but all of the kind of SEO and organic traffic that you've gotten because of these backlinks. Yeah, totally. So now that details is um, is closed down, like, I'm not sure if the site's even live anywhere. I, I haven't checked it out, but has that affected your your traffic once once they closed down the the website? Yeah, definitely. It, it actually like has really affected the traffic. Um, so we've just been like working really hard to to get traffic in other ways. Mm, yeah, I guess that does validate the the really big benefit of having these backlinks from big publications. But then also on the other side of it, obviously it's played off. You guys have been around since 2012, so obviously this has been beneficial for you for for many years now, which I think is the most you can really hope for when it comes to SEO to get this kind of sustainable traffic for you know one, two, three years. Um, but the problem, you know, with going after these backlinks is that if you have all your eggs in one basket, then if that's taken away, then it's taken away. So the idea is to try to find as many high authority websites and large websites to get backlinks as possible. So you don't have to run into an issue where everything's kind of just tied to one, one website. Um, cool. So, um, 
let's let's talk about once you started uh, skinnyfatties.com. I always thought it was called Skinny Fatties too. I didn't know, realize that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people made that made, made that mistake. Um, so let's start there because I know that you rebranded and is airtailer.com now. But I want to talk about the the very early days. So skinnyfatties.com. You got these mentions in in a lot of um, uh, in, in big publications. Drove a lot of traffic. How were you able to keep that keep that going? Like how were you, was it all reliant on the the press mentions, or did you have other kind of marketing strategies to get your first you know hundred customers, you know thousand customers on, on skinnyfatties.com? So I really relied on on press to get the word out. Um, I'm trying to think back to like what I did. Yeah, I mean. I relied on press. I mean, I didn't have a budget for this stuff. I started like while I was on unemployment, I had no money. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, so press and then also word of mouth, you know, when a customer placed an order and they were happy, I asked them to tell their, their friends and, or, or family or whatever. So it just sort of like came organically. Mm. Yeah. That's usually the, the best, right? The word of mouth is, uh, when you when you get somebody to mention your brand or your product to their friends or family, there's no advertisement that you can do, uh, you know, paid advertising that can be uh, more powerful than that because it's coming from somebody that they already trust, and that's the kind of key factor in getting sales online is breaking through, not breaking through, but getting that trust from your customer. So I think word of mouth is definitely huge. And so you encourage people to talk about your brand to other to their friends and family. What what was the how did you encourage this word of mouth? Well, first off, I did a really good job on altering neckties. And I think that speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. Since we're like the only people that do this, it, it sort of like led to that. I also set up a referral program. It wasn't wildly successful in terms of like people sharing it. But I think that that like naturally let people know that we're, we're looking for new customers. When you were starting out, it was really easy to to, to get your, um, I guess, brand spread and to, to encourage this word of mouth because you had the product already. And that's that's a really good point. That's really key to getting word of mouth is is by having a product people actually want to talk about. Um, yeah. So one is to have a great product and two is to have a unique product because if you're just selling, I don't know, paper or something, no one's going to care to talk about that because it's not something new or unique that that uh, someone that people can talk about. So that doesn't mean that you can't find an interesting, uh, that doesn't mean that you need to have a, a I guess, um, a organically, uh, interesting product. You can always find different angles, different stories to make your product something that people want to talk about. But for you, the product itself was already interesting and unique enough for people to talk about it. Um, so now when it came to actually uh, being the first in the marketplace, did you find that there were a lot of competitors that are coming into the space because they saw your success or saw that you're doing something that wasn't being done before? Was that an issue? Definitely not. There's only one other competitor in that space. Um, and they've been around for many years and we actually got a lot of their work from customers that weren't happy <laughs> and mm. like, was like, Hey, can you fix my tie? It's sort of like messed up from this company that did it. So, and, and they're, since they're so old school, they, they really weren't like doing a great job with SEO or with marketing or anything online. They, they've got like an offline shop. So yeah. So you think that these um, uh, your these customers they went to your competitor offline, like in their store. They didn't get the kind of great 
product experience. Then it went online to search for a alter uh, like a company that can alter them and fix the, the the issues. And that's how they came across you. Yeah. So that I mean, we're not like a tech company. We're just online. And I think that like this, the new standard now is that you really have to have a, a pretty solid foundation online and have a good online presence and. I think any customer really looks for that first. Um, if somebody makes a, 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 a restaurant reservation, I'm always like going online to look at the menu. If they didn't have a website, it'd just be much harder. So like I'm, I'm always like looking online as a consumer, and I think that you really have to heighten your standards if you have a business. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Even if you are predominantly selling offline or wholesale or, or in person, it's still valuable to have a strong presence online because that's the first place someone's going to, that's the first impression anybody gets of you because they might hear about you. They might not even get to go to the store right away. They might go online first and do some research, look, look up some reviews. So even if you don't do a lot of sales online, uh, it's still important to have it because that's like you're saying, a first impression. And if you don't have anything online at all, that's still an impression in, in itself by saying that, hey, you, you're maybe not a legitimate business because you don't have um, much uh, of a presence online. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about the actual uh, I guess running of the business. So how does it, well, maybe well, let's transition to Airtailer then before we get there. So uh, since 2012, uh, Skinny Fat Ties, you're running it. 2016 was a launch of, uh, or I guess a, a rebranding into Airtailer.com. So talk to us a little bit about that, that uh, I guess that, that decision to go from Skinny Fat Ties to Airtailer.com. Sure. So over the course of running Skinny Fat Ties, I, I, sales were growing every single year. I mean, it was incredible. Um, it was probably growing by, um, more than double every single year. So awesome. Like that was really great. I, that was great, but I also felt a little bit like pigeonholed on what we could offer. So I, I started doing selling other things like cool Brooklyn goods that like the, the man that I thought would shop for our, for our tie service would love. Or, and then I like tried to sell ties that were like that we made from scratch, and I, I tried to sell um, tie clips, just like little things that I that I thought would like sell. And I always experimented with like selling something else. And to be honest, nothing really worked out. It just it it didn't sell very well. People weren't excited about it. So I sort of went to the drawing board. Um, about a year ago, so May of 2015, I, I was like, I was voicing my concern with my mentor and he was like, well, why don't you consider like altering shirts and pants? And I was like, that's really scary and I probably won't do that. <laughs> and um, so then like I went home and I like really thought about it and I spent the whole weekend like conceptualizing how that would work and, and how we could, how I could take what I've built with skinny fat ties and that alteration service and apply it towards an alteration service for all types of clothing. Like I knew one of the reasons that skinny fat ties worked out was because really nobody was doing it. Nobody was doing it as conveniently as we were offering it by doing it online and everything. Um, and it was just such a unique service and there was like such a novelty aspect to it. Um, so I really had to find 
how Air Tailor would be able to compete with a local tailor and how we were sort of offering a di- differentiating factor to what we would be doing. Um, so, so yeah, I, I sort of like worked on, on like, how can we offer alterations without in-person fittings? Um, how can we be more convenient for people and, and try to answer those questions and also like, what are our overarching goals? Like, what do we want to stick to as we scale? Mm, lots of great things there. I want to start with um, first about how you were doing really well selling one type of service or, or maybe someone out there that's listening, they're doing really well selling one type of product. And this success has gone on for a few years now. And then you start feeling, even though you had all this growth and you know you said 100% growth every year, double you know uh, each year, but you still didn't, I guess not necessarily weren't happy, but you felt like you could be doing more. You didn't want to be, be pigeonholed. I think this is an experience that a lot of people have um, when they start getting some success and they start thinking, okay, what should I be doing next? Um, so you started thinking about selling uh, more products that, at least when you talk about it, sounds very complimentary, right? Sounds like things that you could upsell uh, to your existing customers, but it didn't work out. And I, th- and I really want to talk about this because I think this is a situation a lot of uh, other store owners run into where they think about expanding their product catalog, but don't know where to go. And in your case, you did expand your product catalog and ended up not working out as well as you had expected. So why don't you talk to us about um, why you thought that it did work and why do you think it actually did not end up working when you added these um, seemingly complementary products? Yeah. I think, honestly, it's two things. The first thing is that our demographic for, for skinny fat ties was Wall Street guys that are between the ages of 25 and 60 years old that wear a tie every single day. They're like Manhattan guys or like very metropolitan kind of guys that like that are sort of up to trend with what they want in their necktie. Um, obviously, it's such like a unique, specific service. Um, and and they're like very black and white analytical kind of guys. And skinny fat ties, I tried to sell like wooden tie clips. And I tried to mm. sell like Brooklyn artisanal stuff and or like handmade cotton neckties with like a cool print. I just never because that's me and I just never felt passionate about selling anything other than something that was me. I see. So you, I just want to jump in here real quick. So you started this business because you built something that you created something that you personally wanted. And even though your main demographic that was buying from you, they weren't like you at all. That you just got, you guys kind of just tied together by, I guess, ties. Right. And now that you wanted to expand, you thought, okay, what else do I like? Because I want to continue to build a store, build a brand of things that I personally would buy. But it turned out that because you weren't the same kind of demographic, you didn't have the same interests as your core customers, and ended up not working. Is that is that a fair, I guess, uh, assessment? Yeah, I wasn't passionate about selling anything other than. I mean, look, I spend. I'm doing this full time, so I don't want to be selling like these like beautiful silk neckties that are made in London and they're like five inches wide or whatever, you know, like it's just not, it's not me. So I, whatever I'm doing, I want it to like totally 
vibe with what I like because it's really hard to market something that you're really not into. Mm, that's a very good point. I was just going to ask that next about uh, because that the the type of customers that you had attracted were not necessarily like you, but again, you guys have the shared interest and ties. Did you ever consider, uh, not consider, but did you? How did you have to, I guess, change your your marketing? Was it just solely specific on, I guess, branding or marketing the ties itself? Like, you know, I guess my main question is like, how did you? How were you able to market and sell to a you know these Wall Street guys that weren't like you, even though you guys were both interested in in ties? Like, how were you able to change up your marketing, even though that it didn't necessarily represent who you were? Yeah. So I, I just, I, I believe in design and like, I really think that the design of a brand obviously really speaks to who the brand is. The brand has always been like a little bit like cool and edgy. And I think that like the guys that we marketed to were like sort of into like a brand that's like on the cusp of like trendy and edgy, but we were never really like we weren't redesigning their ties. We're just like doing this service. So I didn't think people really cared about what our Brooklyn brand looked like. I think it was just the fact that we offered this service. Mm. You know what I mean? I think that they were like, it's a cool looking brand. Like the brand looks tight. They're not doing anything other than what they're saying that they do. And I think like Brooklyn has this like sort of, essence of craftsmanship to it mm-hmm. if you market it that way and that's what we've always done so i think people were really into that okay so you you solved the problem that was so core or so needed that your marketing didn't even matter right was, that's what it sounds like you're saying that you had this whole brand and marketing that represented you didn't necessarily represent your your core customers but they didn't care because they really needed this service yeah i could probably put like GIFs of like cotton candy being spun <laughs> and like bubble gum being blown and like people would be like, Oh, this is, this is really great. This service is so great and helpful. So I, I mean, I'm sure like our branding didn't hurt <laughs> that much, but like it, it just, it was one of those things where people were just like, Oh, this is a cool service. So like, I think that speaks to the, to the, to the thing about business is that whatever you're selling or providing as a service People have to want and they have to like, there has to be a need for it and it has to be good. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm looking at airtailer.com now and it seems like you've not necessarily learned the lessons of your of skinny fat ties, but it doesn't seem to be as similar to skinny fat ties. It now seems to be much more... I guess uh, cater to your core demographic of the you know the pr- working professional man that needs the like you know not necessarily super serious website but definitely much more targeted at the people that will go to work in an office is that is that a true is that did you kind of start changing the way that your brand looked to represent that demographic a little bit more well what's interesting is that air Taylor's new demographic and I'm still trying to figure out exactly who that person is. And that's just part of the struggles of being a startup and I guess the opportunity to learn, but is we haven't defined it yet. Um, and the, I guess like my goal in starting this business was that I really wanted a brand that was slightly neutral that could speak because we tailor for both men and women. And mm-hmm. I really wanted this to look like anybody could use it. 
Um, so that's probably like a bad thing that like, I'm trying to like capture everybody. Um, I did, I did learn a lesson and I guess this time around, I'm just sort of keeping it open ended and like making it very clean. Um, and giving like a very simple look to what, to what we do. Mm, yeah, I can definitely see that. So I want to take a step back when you said that you were still thinking about what you should be selling next and didn't have that much success with the products that weren't, weren't that you liked, but weren't, uh, I guess, catered to your core customers. You said you talked to your mentor about what to do next. And uh, your mentor suggested that you start tailoring other things than ties. You said that that that's very scary. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, why did you feel, I guess, scared by that, um, that thought of tailoring other things? Yeah, it scared me because I had never really delved into that before. I, I sort of helped some friends out and with, with alterations for their shirts and pants. And I've done some stuff for myself, but I was by no means like a professional uh, seamstress or, or tailor or anything like that. I had just really new ties. Um, so, so that's why it scared me a lot. Does that, did that mean that you had to hire help? Like how did you transition from just altering ties to now I'm looking at your website, you know, pants, dresses, adding buttons, boots, watches, like you're doing a lot of new things now. So how did you expand your kind of your company's skill set to include all these new um, things? Well, I didn't start immediately. Like, I didn't make a website and say, hey, we do this, like, we're taking orders. I, I started conceptualizing in May and worked on it and did two betas, did tons of testing um, with local tailors, and then eventually I hired a tailor. Um, so, I, you know, that, that's how, is that, <laughs> like, I just sought help from experts. I, I like that, that you kind of took a methodical approach and I just want to get the timing right. So this was May 2015? Yes. Okay, so about a year ago, you decided to start uh, doing this. So how did you, I guess, offer the service? Were you just emailing your old customers? Like, How did they know about this, um, I guess, when you're beta testing? How did you bring in beta testers? I didn't reach out to my old customers because I really wanted to have a refined product that could match the service mm-hmm. standards that we had set for skinny fat ties. Um, so I didn't include them in, in any of the beta testing. Um, instead, I had a landing page and I posted, or I had someone post to product hunt, to beta list. Um, we were on some like cool tech blogs so like I just sort of like tried to get beta testers that under that really understood what beta testing was. Um, and for those of you out there who don't know, beta means when a business is in beta, it means they're testing to sort of perfect their their service or product um, to to early adopters. And usually, people that sign up for a beta are people that totally understand that you're testing and and they're helping you refine the product before it's on the market. I, I like that approach where you almost distanced it from your brand at first until you could refine it because you didn't want 
a you know kind of a new project to taint the experience that you that that, that your current customers already have with uh, skinny fat ties at that time. Um, and you said you worked a lot of local t- tailors. So I think this is also another I guess um, situation that entrepreneurs run into, which is that they have this fear of, or you know, me too included. We have this fear of when is it going to be ready to you know unveil to my current customers, unveil to my friends and family, because, you know, while you're doing this on a side or not on a side, but while you're doing this kind of undercover, you don't have to worry about any like public embarrassment or anything like that. But then once you are coming out and say, Hey, this is a new thing I'm, I'm releasing, then all attention's on you. Now the kind of pressure is on. And not only are you l- launching uh, to like friends and family, you're talking about launching this to all your existing customers as well. So Talk to us about that. What what kind of emotions were involved? Were you, you know, afraid to to launch this at the time? That even though you went through, you know, almost a full year of testing. Yeah, it was really scary because, you know, that's my income. I work full time doing skinny fat ties, and like I'm transitioning customers over to something entirely new. We all know that people don't spend a lot of time reading everything and understanding everything. So when people are ready to place their tie slimming order again, will they know the steps? Are they educated enough? I mean, something that we didn't really mention is that Airtailer is done completely by text message. How will this demographic of, of these Wall Street guys that are between 25 and 60 years old respond to this new sort of technological um, approach to, to ordering something? Um, and, and all of these questions sort of like filled in my mind, causing me major delays in, in releasing the final product. Yeah, let's talk about, the, I want to get to SMS thing and text messaging in a second, but I want to talk about this other thing about rebranding. And yeah. I feel like um, it's when someone launches a, a business, they kind of go through this uh, hesitation because they want to make sure they get their branding right from the beginning. They want to make sure they get the logo, the name, everything right from the beginning because uh, you can't, you know, suppose you can't change it later, right? Because it's going to be a lot harder to change, change it later. So they want to get it right the first time. So obviously, you know, there are concerns with that. Um, but you've gotten to the point where you've had a lot of success already. Now you're going to rebrand your entire company. That's already successful. You know, there's one thing to rebrand when you're not having success, but now you have you have um, skin in the game and you have something to lose when you rebrand. So talk to us about that process. Like, how do you successfully transition from you know one brand to another, and then also also have all these new kind of products that come with this new brand? Yeah. So we're still in in transition mode. Um, so. Right now, there's two websites that are entirely different. So SkinnyFatTies.com still lives as a tie slimming service. So if people find it through SE or through like a search engine, um, they they can land on that and they can get their tie slim just as they were before. I also have a separate Shopify account for Airtailer. So um, and it's sort of like transitioning. My current customers have been notified of you know, air tailor and our changes and how they can still order the same tie slimming service just in a different way. Like they've pretty much adopted pretty well, but yeah, I mean, it's still switching over. I mean, I don't think that whole, it's not going to be like hard switched over probably for another year at Mm -hmm. least because we've got so much presence online through press and word of mouth. 
Mm, that makes sense. So what kind of um, obstacles have you had to run into, you know, because you're in the middle of this transition still, what kind of obstacles did you run into that maybe you didn't expect while going through this rebranding? Well, I have to be completely honest and say that our sales like really dropped off when I, when I switched over Airtailer. I thought we had like a really cool transition that would like notify people, but it, it's really our, our uh, recurring customers have sort of not been recurring after. And that's really hard. Um, starting Airtailer is essentially... I, when I started Airtailer, I was like, oh, this is great. I could, it, it's, it's a service expansion from Skinny Fat Ties to Airtailer. In all reality, it's starting a second business. I mean, it's, it's a totally different animal that eats different than the old animal that I raised. So, it, you know, it's a totally different demographic. Um, yeah, so that's been a, a real struggle in getting people to use the new brand. But really what I've been focusing on is building traction um, with new people for this brand. Cool. Yeah. So one more question before we move on to this new brand. So if there, you know, while you're going through this uh, and because you've been doing this uh, transition from, from skinny fat size to air tailor for, for a bit now, are there anything, any steps that you now look back on that you say you, you know, you wish you took to make this process a little bit easier? I would say, that I would do more market research in terms of starting. And that means, because right now it's sort of like a catch-all. Like, oh, anybody, please, you know, we do alterations and repairs. If I were to start over, even though we did tons of testing and I interview people like crazy, I I would love to have like gotten some more statistics about the alteration industry and about who uses a tailor specifically. I think that, you know, we're starting to look into that now, but I think that that would like really sort of dictate how to market to people better in a more specific way. Mm, I see, I see what, what you're saying. Cool. So let's move on to uh, Air Tailor. So this is actually a, a pretty, not pretty common, but a, a timely topic that I've been hearing more and more about. And it was something that was mentioned on a podcast episode, maybe like five or so back with uh, the CMO of Shopify, where we talked a lot about conversational commerce. So maybe we'll start there. What is, to you, what is conversational commerce? Sure. So, so conversational commerce, to me, um, is when you use conversation to buy something with a company. So you're talking to a company and the service is not through clicking a, a call to action that says buy now, but instead being like, hey, I need to buy this. And then they send you a link to pay or they just charge your account. So that's conversational commerce. Yeah, one of the best ways I've heard to describe it is almost like a concierge service, right? It's not like you go into a store and you buy something off the shelf, and it's not so hands-on where you have to be in person and they, you know, create an entire custom-made suit for you. It's somewhere in between, in the middle, right, where you have a lot of. There's still handholding involved, and I guess this is more. This is for you. This is all done through text message. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So this was actually a question I asked. Um, uh, the CMO of Shopify again, Craig Miller, about how scalable is this? Because one of the 
kind of um, advantages of selling online and selling products specifically is that it's highly scalable. There's a lot of leverage you can have because you don't have to be present to do every sale, right? On the other end of the spectrum, imagine you're a car salesman. You have to be present right in their face throughout the entire sales process. So again, this falls somewhere in the middle, but it does add more kind of a service layer to it. Do you find that it's... um? I guess, are you running into these challenges where you have trouble scaling or, you know, tell us about what's, I guess, um, what kind of time commitments are involved when you do conversational commerce? Sure. So, so I do think conversational commerce is scalable. Um, you can train bots through some heavy engineering to sort of answer questions with customers in a way that, gets the job done um, and, and it's automatic and, and you don't have to be there 24 seven with the customer support team. Um, that said, when we first started, we did a lot of testing in this area of like responding to customers. Like if they were like, I need a shirt tailored and we'd be like, great. What, you know, like we had like a trigger for that. If somebody mentioned the word shirt and then it would like say, mm-hmm. great. Uh, it, what service would you like done or whatever? We just ran into a lot of issues with, with doing a sort of automated approach to that. And that works for some businesses that sell like a very specific product, whereas alterations and repairs, you know, we need, it's a hands-on approach. Like we like to think that we're a tailor shop. That's just, you're just texting your tailor. So we talk to people one-on-one via text message and, and people can send us photos and we can evaluate and we can instruct them. And if they have questions, we can answer them um, specifically. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that answers that, but like we, we really believe in like doing it um, like a real person is texting you. I will say that we do have some, some things that are automated, like, shipping, um, like we'll send you, you know, that your item has shipped or that we've received your item. Um, and then we can also do things like canned responses where I can talk about the service that we use to, to send the text messages, but they offer like a really cool canned response, canned, canned response, um, system where you can like have something already queued up and, and fire it out. So your your um your brand and your Airtailer is uh, need, obviously needs something like this because there's a lot of back and forth when it comes to personalization, right, or customization. But for other stores out there that maybe don't have a service or a product that's as customized as your or as that requires as much customization as yours, do you see that there's still advantages to using SMS and conversational commerce uh, in a, a store that just sells like you know a product that doesn't require any personalization at all? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's a, there's a company called magic and, and these are new startups. And then another company called operator that basically you can order anything you want through conversation. Um, magic is through text message and operator is through an app where you chat with somebody. Uh, I don't know the, the specifics of if it's automatic or if they're chatting with you in person, I think that's sort of the beauty of it is you just don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, we're seeing more and more companies move over to, to using conversation to sell. Um, Chris Messina, the inventor of the hashtag, actually wrote an incredible blog post saying that 2016 is the year of conversational commerce. Um, and because we're seeing companies like Facebook use, um, messenger, you can, you can schedule an Uber 
um, within their messenger. Um, WhatsApp, uh, I think Snapchat, Telegram, all of these things are sort of emerging as a more of a commerce approach through conversation. Yeah, and this is something that I talk about a lot, which is that if you want to beat the big competition out there, there's no better way than with customer service. And if you are able to either actually have a team of people answering these things or um, have, create a more personalized experience through uh, these automated services or bots, like you're saying, I think it's definitely one of the ways to separate you from the pack because people want to interact with uh, or talk to salespeople or talk to people that know about this. And I think live chat was probably the first kind of incarnation of this. If you go to a website and you know, a live chat bubble pops up in the right-hand corner asking if you need any help, I've seen statistics and case studies all, all the time about how many times they're able to close a sale just by engaging in a conversation on the website. But you're taking this outside of the website even, and now you don't have to be on a website to to have this conversation. It's all through text messaging, which you know everybody has access to. So if you if someone out there wants to get started and implement a conversational commerce or text messaging based, um, I guess service to their to their store to their to their brand, what's the first step? Like what company do do you work with and what's involved? Sure. So I work with a really incredible company called Sonar and their website is sendsonar.com. But it's really cool. They actually have a Shopify app, um, but it basically connects you with your customers and hooks into it and lets you like really get in touch with your customers in a way that you really couldn't do before. So, and it's all through SMS and they all, uh, text and then they also have like a way that you can chat with people through your Facebook page, um, and that I mean it's it's pretty incredible like what you can do and what you can really accomplish through text message. Awesome, yes. So to close this out, I want to talk about your your re- the favorite resources that you use to help you run your business. So other than uh, again, sensonar.com is the one that you use. Are there any other apps or tools that you use to help you run the business? Yeah, so so Airtailer is we're finding is that we're we really need to have a strategy for getting people. And one of our big marketing strategies is having an awesome content marketing schedule. Um, so that's really important to sort of engage with people online that sort of naturally find us through Google because we talk about hemming pants um, or we talk about. Uh, another service that we provide. So we use um, a really cool app that's like small and and stupid, but we're finding a lot of success with um, called like related posts. And it it just basically at the bottom of a blog post shows you a couple other blog posts that you've written and we'll sort of highlight that. And then people don't just drop off on that blog post, but they click another blog post and read a different topic that you've talked about. I like that. So is this like a, um, for WordPress or for Shopify, where do, how do you find this related posts? That's a Shopify app. So you can just search for that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's important to to keep your your visitor engaged because, you know, tons of statistics out there as well. The longer that they are on your site, the more likely they are to convert. And you just kind of the goal is always to pull them deeper into your universe, your brand's universe. So if they get more and more exposure to the things you're talking about, you're going to be top of mind when they actually, 
when they need to buy or when they are ready to buy a product and yours is going to come top of mind. And on top of that, uh, Google also um, encourages this too for SEO reasons. You don't want someone coming to your site, reading one thing really quickly and then leaving uh, you know, from a, from like a, let's say they search for hemming pants, they come to your site, read something real quick and then bounce off of your page. That sends negative signals to Google. So if you can keep them clicking and going deeper into your site, great things again for, for your, your organic search rankings. Um, so other than uh, related posts, any other uh, apps that you use to run the business? Yeah, so I really like uh, Delighted. It's a net promoter score um, survey app that that basically like you can set um, how many days after a product ships from you to the customer, like pretty much when they receive it. So we send it six days after an order ships or it fulfills and asks the customer, how likely are you to recommend our service or product to a friend? And it's really kind of cool, the feedback that you get. It ranks from 1 to 10, and then the customer can leave a comment. Um, and then you can offer a discount to a customer that says like a 2, um, or you can you can reward a customer that gives you a 10 with like a, a discount or thank them. One really cool thing that we actually use that Shopify recently um, put as a feature on on their site was custom invoices. So like when a customer like wants their pants hemmed or a shirt taken in or a pair of shoes repaired, we have that programmed into our into our site and we can actually like just go add it as a custom invoice and then over text send the customer a link to pay. So it makes it really, really easy to sort of integrate with like a conversational approach to, to e-commerce. Um, and then the other thing that if you don't use sonar or if you just sort of want to make it easier to sell from your product catalog online would be, um, an app that Shopify recently released, um, called ShopKey. Um, and basically if you've ever heard of like an, an emoji keyboard on your iPhone or, or whatever, um, it, it basically like shows your, um, products as an image in your keyboard and then like whether you're commenting on an Instagram post or over Facebook or whatever through your phone you can click like a picture of the product that's in your store and it will send as a link um, which I think is really cool and definitely makes things easier from both your end and the customer's end when you're helping them save time and yourself so I like ShopKey from what I've read about it but definitely look that up because it, it, it'll help you uh, sell more. Yeah, this definitely seems like the key to to um, running conversational commerce at scale. Uh, because I, I read the kind of description here, I think it's one of those things you have to see in person on your app, or just take a look at the. And it's not a Shopify app like in the app store it's on the itunes app store uh but it says here you can send links for any product in your store paste product images into any conversation search your entire catalog right from your keyboard and um yeah take a look at the screenshots i think it really describes it well how you can use this uh, if you want to get into conversational commerce what's in store for rest is rest of this year what do you have planned for for you know as you're going through this transition into Airtailer? any other goals that you want to hit this year yeah, so two things. The first thing is that we're really focusing on partnerships. We are, we're trying to work with e-commerce stores um, that can tell their customers about us. So like if a customer is shopping for a shirt on, on a, online and then they receive a, <laughs> the shirt in the mail uh, and, the sh- and the shirt doesn't fit and usually people return it because it doesn't fit, um, 
we want to just put our card in there or somehow get this customer to know that like, Hey, there's an alteration company that can help because they do the alterations without any in-person fittings. And it's sort of like online as well and sort of matches the, the customer demographic of the company that bought originally, um, or the customer that bought originally. So, so that we're really focusing on partnerships, um, of, of big and small, um, and then the other thing is we're just building traction. We're, we're trying to get people to see how easy it is to use our service. I mean, it's pretty incredible that you can just go on and, and text with a company and, you know, have something altered. So if they, you know, good thing that you're on a podcast with a bunch of listeners that are that own stores. So if they want to work with you on, on a partnership like this, what's the best way for them to, to reach out to you? Sure. You can send an email to hello at airtailor.com and um, we would love to work with you. We're actually working with some pretty cool stores right now in Los Angeles and in New York um, that are both telling their customers in their stores and also just including like a small card. And, and we can send these cards to any store in the U.S. So wherever you're sending in the U.S., include our card because we serve nationwide. So I feel like we should have covered this a little bit earlier, but I don't think it's an issue to throw us at the end either. But uh, we talked obviously about how skinny fat ties work. We introduced Air Tailor. So maybe you can talk us through this process real quick. Someone wants to get a, let's say a shirt tailored. They open up their phone and they send a, a message to, and then I guess take it, take it from here. Like they send a message to you and then what happens? Sure. So let's take a step back. The moment that you sign up for Air Tailor, we're going to shoot you a text saying like, hey, Felix, welcome to Air Tailor. Can I send you a welcome kit? And the welcome kit includes safety pins, collar stays, a measuring tape, a card from us, and also packaging to mail us your first garment. Um, and then so say if like you need a pair of pants hemmed, you would just text Air Tailor and say, hey, Air Tailor, I need a pair of pants hemmed. And then you put a safety pin where you would like the pants to be hemmed to on only one of the legs and our tailor receives it tailors it down within five business days, it's shipped back out to the customer. Um, we send the customer a prepaid shipping label so that they mail it to us. Shipping is only $5 total, and that includes both ways. So it, it really is a convenient option for, for people. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great service. I'm going to have to take a look at it. I think I have a few things I need to alter too. So thanks for uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Joshua. So airtailor.com, A-I-R-T-A-I-L-O-R.com is the website. Check it out. Be sure to reach out to uh, Joshua if you have any, uh, if you want to work with him on a partnership. I think it's um, I think a great opportunity um, to work together. Um, so, you know, again, thanks for your time, Joshua. You know, learn a ton. I'm sure the audience also learn a ton, especially about conversational commerce. I think you're right that this is an opportunity for a lot of stores to really separate themselves from the pack. So I'm really excited to see uh, you know what stores come up with over the rest of this year. Um, yeah, thanks for your time, Joshua. Cool. Thanks so much, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.